And here we go. The Sprista's Goose. <laughs> I don't apocalypse on Shabbos. <laughs> Trump Shabbos. <laughs> I say that doesn't sound like too good of a story for him then. <laughs> yes, it's an 80s film, but it's a quintessential 80s film. That motherfucker gets me excited about science. But yes, I, I do think that this movie requires a couple more views. I have the same cup size as Doc Hawk. <laughs> Give me my sandwich. <laughs> no crusts. Was it an instant classic for you? Uh, no. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moviegoers of all ages, welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. With me, as always, is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film past or present absolutely amazing, or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Oh, man. Crazy is as crazy does is what Mama always said. <laughs> Did she say that while she was stomping around in the apartment above you? <laughs> hey, they're just dancing on the ceiling there. They're just pulling the Lionel Richie and they're dancing on the ceiling. So I apologize, people. Um, I have some uh, tap dancing classes above me, apparently. And uh, yeah, so they like to walk around at 8.15 at night in high heels. Um, I'm just assuming that too, but he, yeah, she, anyways, they or them. that's why I said they, mm-hmm. I am non gender specific here, bro. I like to, I like to wear heels on my shoes. Not like high ones, but like clappity clap ones. Oh man. All I got dr- spice girl shoes. All my dress shoes have clappity clap heels. Sweet. Yeah. Have you been? Um, I'm good. It's, uh, this is good because we've really, we've rekindled our love. Um, we had a, a very long weekend together. You and I. Uh, over voice <laughs> i know it's crazy i haven't it's talked good. to you this much in a long time it's great I, know, I like it it's like i'm uh rekindling things with you I'm, I'm learning about you i feel like uh ryan gosling from the notebook i wrote you every day for a year and you didn't respond so mm. yeah was, but uh, no, but yeah no i'm good i um i did a oh man so i'm pretty crazy i know we, we talk about that often but uh saturday i was gonna do I was doing a bike ride with a friend and we were going to just do like 30 miles because uh, she wanted to train for some hills and stuff because she's doing a half Ironman. I'm definitely not doing a half Ironman. Um, but we went through Seattle and I took her on a route. Well, the 30 miles ended up being 60 miles because the route we were trying to take back to Seattle was closed. So we had no other way we could go and we had to go a completely different way. Yeah, I was, dude, I was spent. That was the longest I've ever, I've ever ridden my bike before. I woke up and my quads were just on fire and uh, it was, it was gnarly. I, I don't know if I can recommend that to many people, but <laughs> some people do it all the time. So yeah, I did a 60 mile bike ride on Saturday. That's far. It's very far. I can drive 60 miles an hour. Did it take you an hour to do it? <laughs> it took me like four and a half hours. So <laughs> that's like traffic. <laughs> Pretty much. Shit, I probably beat traffic doing that. Did you have yeah, to change crazy. your tires? Did you have a spare no. tire on your back? That'd be sweet. So I thought I had an extra tube in my backpack. I did not, but luckily my bike held up. Um, I'm going to have to do some maintenance on my bike, though, because the poor old gal, she uh, she took a beat in that ride. So Yikes. it's OK, though. So, um, but yeah, Rub- so today Rubin was is racing. <laughs> so today was a very lazy day. I just watched uh, football and hung out at home and uh, ate some chips. It was good. <laughs> they were good chips. You should, <laughs> were good chips. You should eat them. 
<laughs> oh man, I watched I watched that Robin Hood movie with with Eggie and, and oh gosh and Jamie Fox. Taron Ed. No, it, it was looks bad. It was not good at all. And I could have yeah. stopped it at any time, but I don't know. I just felt I feel bad doing that, and so I just I I just played with my doggy as it was on, and I did not enjoy it. Out of all the Robin Hood movies that have been made over the last hundred years, I'm pretty sure I am comfortable saying that Prince of Thieves is my favorite Robin Hood movie, and I enjoy it from start to finish. You can't tell me it's not worth fighting for. Isn't it that one? Yes. No, it's true. No, I think Kevin Costner sings that song. I just looked it up, and it's, Ke- it's Kevin Costner himself singing that. So. Yeah, it's a good one. And then and there's, Kevin- that other, there's that other one with like Three Musketeers in the 90s, and it was like Brian Adams and Sting and some other guy singing All for One. Maybe a Rod Stewart? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Give it All for One and All for Love. Yeah, that one? That yeah. yeah. And like Keeper Sutherland's drinking booze and driving drunk with his horse <laughs> he's like where's the damn bomb it's like mr dui himself whoa yeah, that's what he does his tavern is just a booze bottle it's pretty sweet and it's empty and spilt over well you watch robin hood i don't think i really watched anything because i was just so tied up um i do probably have one movie to recommend though um attack the block did you ever see attack the block yes um, what did you think of that? I don't know. It's so John Boyega is in it and he's awesome, oh. but I, I, I think I liked it, but it, it just, I don't know. It got a little weird for me and I couldn't really get into it too much, but I don't know if I can necessarily truly recommend it then to everybody, but check it out. Might as well. It's, it's fun. John Boyega is pretty cool in it and he's a good actor. So yeah, I was watching it as part of the, the Halloween you know, mindset and all <laughs> that stuff. My, sorry, my brain stopped for a second. No, so. no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Anyhow, what movie are we doing? We are doing 28 Days Later by Mr. Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle there. Came out in 2002. Danny Boyle, of course, is famous for uh, Train Spotting, Slumdog Millionaire, 28 Days Later. <laughs> 127 hours uh sunshine he's he's got quite the resume danny boyle's awesome he was he was also going to direct the newest bond that's coming out but he backed out um and so yeah phoebe waller bridge is directing it right yeah from fleabag she's amazing so uh screenplay was alex garland and justin do you know who alex garland is uh not until today yeah so he um he he has directed a few movies since then, but he's, he's collaborated with Danny Boyle a bit. And, um, he did the screenplay for sunshine for, um, for actually dread the one we just posted the other day. Um, and he directed ex machina and annihilation. Um, he's, he's a brilliant mind. Um, he is also penned to do the new halo series, the live action halo series. We'll see what happens to that. Cause they've been talking about a halo series for quite a while. Yeah, so since forever, since a, yeah, because District 9, Neil Blomkamp was supposed to do a Halo series, right, with Peter Jackson, but they oh, were yeah, like, eh. And then yeah. when um, when Xbox One was a thing, and um, there was, um, like, Xbox Studios, and then that sort of went by the wayside. Um, oh, yeah. That was supposed to be, and, like, Spielberg was, like, attached to help out with it, and 
it didn't go anywhere. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So sweet. Um, yeah, so this movie it uh, it stars it stars some people. Uh, it stars uh, I'm gonna say Killian Murphy. I say Cillian. Cillian Murphy. I say Cillian. Is it Killian? Cillian Murphy? Kill you know kills with a K. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's I think it's Killian Murphy, uh, Naomi Harris, Noah Huntley, Brendan Gleeson, and Christopher Eccleston. Um, <laughs> Raymond Kalitri from Gone in sixty seconds. Oh, uh, there okay. you go. It, t- it took me a second. Uh, yeah, um, interesting because they were primary. I mean, Brendan Gleeson was in a bunch of different stuff because it was two thousand two, but primarily um, English Mad actors. He was Mad Eye Moody, primarily English English actors. Um, very much a film that if you see these actors now, you'd be like, "Oh, that's this person from this," and "Oh, she was in this." Uh, I don't know if this was their start in it, but 2002 was what 17 years ago, so um, definitely could have been. And um, yeah, I think it was uh, it was a fun cast in in any type of zombie film like this, or well, quote unquote zombie film. You're not going to get a ton of of different faces unless you do a sequel like 28 weeks later. But um, yeah, what you do have, they usually are, are pretty spot on with how they're performing. So, um, but what did this movie do critically? Uh, it did pretty well uh, on the rotten tomatoes there. It is a certified fresh at 86% uh, from the critics and then 85 from the audience. Wow. Yeah. That's really good. Actually not too shabby. I remember seeing this in a theater and um, we enjoyed the heck out of it. Uh, the trailer. Did you have a what? Did you have your bucket of popcorn and an extra large soda pop there? I, I probably did. Yeah, that, that's sort of my uh, my thing. <laughs> Do you go butter or no butter? I go a little bit of butter. What what is a little bit? That's pretty subjective. I say just a little. Because <laughs> you want butter on your popcorn, I'm like, yeah, just just a couple drops. You don't need to drown it in that shot. I don't know what human that shit came from. Um, <laughs> no, usually nice. just like two, and then they shake it. Um, shake it, sh- shake it, shake it like a Polaroid picture. Shake it like a baby. Um, <laughs> <whoa>. <laughs> they, uh, what do you call it there? The thing is, when you go to the, the cinema, they, they play a lot of trailers. And so by the time the movie starts, I am finished with my popcorn i don't eat it all i get a giant bucket and i'm usually about like a quarter of the way like left like i've, I've eaten 75 percent of it and i just mm-hmm. i'm usually just full and disgusted with myself that i don't want to eat anymore <laughs> <laughs> and it's like ah, i'm good i usually do that too though because i don't want to crunch during the film i'd rather um just uh you know eat it before and get all that hullabaloo out of the way right. so i can enjoy the movie and it's always the quietest part too when you're making all that right <laughs> you know, know. What is that, that one yahoo that snuck in some candy and they just can't get it open to save their life and it's <laughs> just get the wrapper <laughs> like jesus christ <laughs> and then like they stop yeah. like they're trying to be quiet but it's like dude just fucking band-aid that shit and just pull it off just band-aid that. <laughs> That's the word. Nice. Uh, yeah. but critically, uh, do you want to go over some of these reviews really fast? Yeah, go ahead. <sighs> I don't want to. I'm just kidding. Um, Christy Lemire from the Associated Press, the AP. Uh, what also makes 28 Days Later effective and sets it apart from other thrillers is that it makes you care about the characters. I agree. I care about these characters. Even when the one girl's all drugged up and she's like, 
Zombies are really quite lovely, isn't they? <laughs> weird. It's like, all right, calm down, girl. Mm-hmm. Just keep popping pills. Everything will be all right. Uh, Brian D. Johnson from McLean's Magazine. 28 Days Later unfolds uh, as a gripping suspense film punctuated by gruesome violence. You know what's funny is I never really thought it was all that violent because you don't. I feel like the camera cuts away a lot of times during the violence. It's it's pretty violent, though. I mean, I mean it when is. Showing, things are yeah. happening, but you're not seeing a whole lot of like blood and gut and gore and and the people that are infected, we'll call them infected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't see them like ripping off like people's cheeks and eating their guts and stuff like that. Yeah, it's not like um, uh, like Dawn of the Dead. Day of, Day of the, well, yeah, like Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead, right? Because Night Night of the Living Dead that was more of like it was nuanced horror, and then I think what Day of the Dead was the way gruesome stuff. Where was it? It wasn't Rick Baker, but it was. Um, hang on a second. Sure. Well, you, while I hang on, I'll just keep reading. I, sorry, I just didn't. I wanted to. I wanted to mute my mic while Stompy McStompersons upstairs were done tap dancing. Um, Tom Savini, I, I believe, right? He did the. He did some of the makeup for that. But anyways, that's when you get like the people eating guts and intestines. That that shit was nasty. That was like not right. I'm so not that's, a big that's gore. Yeah. I, I would say that the movie yeah. is violent, but it's not gore. It's not like gore like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. 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 Um, Kim Newman from Empire Magazine, the best purely British horror slash science fiction film in decades and the great and the first great apocalypse movie of the new millennium. That's I think that that's pretty fair. You know, 2002 um, it was a hell of a of a jumpstart to to what movies can be. And I loved every second of this movie. I remember walking out of it like, holy shit, man, that's how you do a freaking apocalypse movie. Apocalypse. <laughs> I can't even spell apocalypse. I need, I need autocorrect for that shit. So like five O's and two U's. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't get it. It don't make no sense. Uh, okay. Nathan Rabin. He uh, from the AV club. Maybe from high school. I don't know. Um, later does a lot of things right, which makes the third act's missteps even more frustrating. So he must have not liked the beginning like the end, but then got irritated because the end was better than the beginning. I don't know. He's crazy. Hmm. Oh. I don't disagree with him, but we'll get into that. Sure. You know, whatever you want. Um, and then I guess one more. <laughs> uh, the picture is yeah. twitchy and annoying, flecked with blood and half-digested ideas, and too much is left unexplained. That's Anthony Lane from The New Yorker. Whatever. What does he know in New York? He doesn't know nothing. I don't know. Sorry, I'm I'm sorry, Mr. Lane. You actually probably are pretty reputable. So maybe, but uh, so there you go. I, out of all these, there's amazing. There's like let's see a whole screen of positive reviews, and then I see three negative ones. So it's just one of those things where it's not for everybody. Yeah, no, for sure. It's like stretch, stretchy pants. It's not for everybody. You know, I, I I tried them. I tried them. They just they didn't they didn't work for me. Sure. So sure, sure, sure. I gave up on them. But as far as um, commercial success, uh, did forty five million dollars domestic and thirty seven uh, around the world. So you're looking at a whopping eighty two million on just a what ten thousand dollar budget? Is that what it was? Or ten million dollar budget? Eight, eight, eight. Yeah, it was like eight or ten million. Yeah. So that's not bad. That's uh that's really good. 
Um, it's interesting about the budget real quick. Um, so I, I feel that because this is a pretty, this is pretty guerrilla style of filmmaking. I mean, it's, it looks like it was filmed almost with like a home video recorder, right? Like a handheld camera like that. Um, and that was just part of the aesthetic, but I don't imagine a bunch had to go into the production value of this. Um, except for the scenes that they had in like London where the streets were completely barren and cleared. Like you can get away sure by using um, um, sets and stuff, but I think they had parts where they're actually filmed in London. Right. And it's just empty. Yeah. How, do, so how did like they do lot, that? I felt it's I, weird. Because I don't know. As I was watching it, I was like, maybe they just had like a, like a photo of it and he's just walking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I tried to find like behind the scenes footage of how exactly they made London look so empty. Um, I know mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a logical reason for it, but as I'm watching, I'm just how the hell did they do this? It just tripping me. Well, I mean, there's a million people normally walking around. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see Vanilla Sky? Yes. So, you know, the scene when Tom Cruise is running through Times Square and it's empty. Yeah. So that was actually they cordoned off Times Square for I think it was like 15 minutes or whatever. And they had to they shot that scene. But um, that just happens in in filmmaking. I mean, sometimes they can get away with that stuff. I mean, I didn't know what type of pull Danny Boyle had at that point. So maybe he worked a deal out or something like that. And they were hit like, hey, let's shoot for like an hour or something. I, like that. I almost watched it with the commentary on. Uh, that would have been kind of cool. Just so I could have answers to my questions. But I wanted mm-hmm. to be more engaged in the movie and not so much just listening to them talk. So I'll probably watch it again with the right. commentary. Yeah. He's like, well, Justin, to answer your question. Um. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it's pretty cool how they made it. Yeah. So I'm sure there's a super mega easy explanation as to how they did it. Um, mm-hmm. but I mean, even if you got up at like five in the morning, there'd still be people out and about. I mean, I leave for work before the sun comes up and there's a billion goddamn cars on the road. So <laughs> one million yeah, cars. Exactly. So, um, yeah, kudos to mr boyle but it is funny how you mentioned the camera though because i feel like a lot of times when i'm watching it it's almost like the movie was made in the 70s <laughs> or like the 60s it just has like this really weird gritty feel to it and uh almost like they had a camera that was 30 years old or something it was strange yeah and and I'm curious on what that really did for the film, and we can discuss that in a bit. Um, real quick, I did find actually an answer to our question we were just talking about. Um, so for the London scenes, police would close the roads at 4 a.m. and filming would begin immediately. After one hour, the police would reopen the roads. The producers correctly predicted that asking drivers, including clubbers headed home, to either wait for up to an hour or find another route might make some of them angry. They got several extremely attractive young women, including Danny Boyle's daughter to make the necessary requests. And the drivers respond responded quite amicably to them. So that's funny. So they just asked them to wait because they're so polite over there. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. So that's neat. So yeah. And then it says they also for the motorway scenes um, production got permission to shoot on the M one um, on a Sunday morning between 7am and 9am. Cause most people I guess weren't working. The police gradually slowed traffic in both directions um, using 10 cameras. The filmmakers managed to capture a total of one minute of, un- of usable footage. So then they just kind of splice that from there um, to make it look like they were driving on this empty road. That's pretty cool. That's movie magic. That's why we see the talkies. Cause it's magic. Yeah. yeah. See? So, um, <laughs> you better believe it, Buster. Um, Sweet. That's all I got. <laughs> okay. Sweet. <laughs> um, 
and then uh so for for the ip for this uh directly you know they had a sequel in 2007 28 weeks later mm-hmm. um which i liked but it's also been a very long time since i've seen it so i might have to revisit revisit it after watching this do you remember much about that one Justin? yeah so i actually saw it for the first time three years ago Ooh, and i liked the hell out of it i thought it was fantastic Cool. Okay, sweet. I should go see it. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah. It's okay. No, it's uh, uh, it, no, it's um, actually a lot of fun. Um, and it doesn't waste any time, too. So it shows, you know, some time has passed, obviously, since uh, the first outbreak. And they're, they're in, a, in the process of sort of uh, bringing order back to um, Britain. And then mm-hmm. um, they sort of get caught with their pants down. And then they're... Their quarantine area, just as as the world has it, just kind of gets overrun, and and everyone's on loose, and it's intense, and it's like one giant chase scene is really what it is. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And that music is is pretty hefty, and we see it in the first one too with the music. Mm-hmm. They carry it over um, to that second one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's jump into this for time's sake. But here's a quick synopsis. Um, so what I did really quick is I borrowed this from I Preach Forever on IMDb. Uh, he or she wrote part of this, and then I wrote the rest. So in a top-secret British lab, peace activists release a monkey, in, monkey and let's, let's go chimpanzee, infected with a highly powerful and contagious test virus, despite the begging of the scientists in charge of operations. 28 days later, the infection has gone from one chimpanzee to the majority of the UK. The host of the virus is lost in a murderous state, and losing all logic and instinct. Jim, a courier, wakes up from his coma in an empty hospital to find that the streets have been heavily littered What? and, and are empty. <laughs> his, his fear began There's when he saw no everywhere. one. <laughs> there was. His, and lots of Pepsi. Yeah. His, his fear began when he saw no one. His, t- his terror erupted when he realized he wasn't alone. Jim meets Selena and Mark, survivors who inform him of the rabid outbreak and the state of the country. Mark gets bitten, so Selena kills him without hesitation, proving that she has a survive-first mentality. Jim and Selena push on and meet Frank and Hannah, a father and daughter duo uh, surviving in isolated London. The group hear a radio message and rumor of a military safe zone just outside of Manchester, so they decide to take a journey to the Promised Land. Frank becomes infected and is gunned down by military personnel. The soldiers then take the three to a safe zone led by Major West. Not as all well here, as West explains to Jim that his soldiers have alternative plans for Hannah and Selena. On his way towards death, Jim escapes the soldiers and enacts his revenge of them in a really badass way as he saves the two ladies major west manages to shoot jim right before he gets attacked by an infected from his soldiers jim hannah and selena then drive off to freedom but not before we can see jim's fate did jim survive or is this all a dream you decide there we go i decided that he survived you know did you watch the post credits though like after the credits yeah, no. there's a there's post credits. I I just happened to leave it on because I was typing on my on my computer and I was like, oh shit. Um, so right, you know how like when they hit the gate, it it's freeze frame and it says 28 days later. Yeah. So what happens is it flashes back to that, and they're in the car, um, and she's trying to save Jim. They go to an actual hospital and they're freaking out. They're trying to save him, but you know they're clearly not doctors, and he doesn't make it. And so then Hannah's like, what do we do? And Selena goes, we move on. 
grabs they both grab guns and they they just walk away are you serious it's uh, yeah, it's really weird. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I had no yeah. idea. I mean, I saw it in the theater. I owned the movie, and I never once knew that there was anything after the credits. Yeah, I watched it with my friend, and she was like, whoa, because she, she loved that movie. And she's like, whoa, I haven't seen this. I was like, whoa, neither have I, because I was like typing away and didn't even know. But yeah, it's it's a post-credit th- uh, post-credits scene. So. Yeah. Um. Cool. All right, well... You obviously really liked this movie. Um, I liked this movie too. Um, I think there were parts of it though that I was, I was not distracted, but I was kind of like, eh, seen it sort of thing. But that's not fair because this movie came out well before things like The Walking Dead, where there were some shocking parts in The Walking Dead. Um, but I know that it drew inspiration from this film for sure. It had to have. Um, my question to you, Justin, though, it, would you classify this as a zombie film or what 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 would you call this type of horror genre? Um, I'd say it's just like a post-apocalyptic. I mean, I want to say that it's a zombie movie, but it's not. They're just infected with this rage. They're not dead. They're just infected. Typically with zombies, it's a reanimated corpse, whereas in this case, it is just a a rage inducing virus. So, so I don't, I don't think it classifies as a zombie. I mean, in, in the, in the traditional sense where, you know, they are, they are mindless. They're not able to make decisions. They just become completely feral. And all they want to do is, is feed, I guess. But um, like I said, you don't see them like eating people. They're just attacking them and killing them. What do you think? What do you think is the criteria, though, for a zombie film? I, I, mean, I don't for, think for it's... me it was always some yeah. a reanimated corpse. That's a zombie. Oh, okay, give me an example. Um, all right, Night of the Living Dead. Okay, dead bodies but, come up, and then they, or The Walking Dead. Even it's someone that has died, and then they come back to life. But what are the... you getting at? What do you want me to say? I don't understand. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, 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 I'm curious. I actually, just I'm inquisitive on this because um it's it's weird so you're right so i i mean i would say that in film george a romero is essentially the godfather of the zombie film franchise disagree or agree yeah that's fine i'll agree and and so night of the living dead you know you have your zombies but correct me if i'm wrong they they looked pretty normal those zombies they weren't like flesh ripping off of their skin or anything like that they looked decently normal they were slow they were mindless yeah they're reanimated corpses um but then you kind of progress from there and you get the ones that you get bit you turn into a zombie if you get bit you don't die they infect you right and that happens in like dawn of the dead that happens in the walking dead i mean we saw that stuff happen all the time right um and they even pushed it on with the walking dead of making it a airborne pathogen essentially so in that sense it was a virus but i mean everyone in the world will say the walking dead is a zombie show i mean well they they Uh, would still get a fever and they would die and then they would come back and become a zombie they don't just they don't get bit and then you typically just become a zombie they they go through a stage where they're they go through this incredible fever then they're they're basically they're getting cooked from the inside and then they die Mm -hmm. then they get reanimated Hmm. 
Okay. Well, and what about like uh, Snyder's Dawn of the Dead? Remember, like we were talking about the other day when that girl, you know, at the opening segment when the little girl bites the guy in the neck and then he essentially is reanimated. Yeah, so he, do you think that he, she, did, she got he like, just died really quick? Yeah, she got like his arteries in his in his. Oh, neck, okay. So, yeah, there was blood. Everywhere. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, I mean, I, so, I don't, I don't know if there's a hard, fast rule on, on the zombie film franchise, but I mean, I, I see exactly what you're saying and I, and I agree with you to to an extent, but I, I think that you can branch off from it a bit too. Right. So like in the case of her father, uh, and Jim was it not Jim. Uh, what's the dad's name? I, I thought it was Frank. Frank. I, I kept calling him Frank. Frank. Yeah. Jim is, um, Celia Murphy. Um, yeah. So in his case, he just got that droplet into his eye and then he was immediately infected. Yeah. And that goes quick, too. I mean, that was like a minute. Yeah. And then he he knew he knew he was turning. That scene was heartbreaking, too, by the way. But um, he he knew he was turning because it just it went that quick. Yeah. So to me, so, that's the difference. Yeah. It's it's just a it's a virus. It's a rage enacting virus inside their body that that makes them go from six to midnight. And they crank that shit up to 11 and they just go crazy <laughs> um, and they lose all like, you know, reason. And they literally just want to destroy and beat the shit out of somebody. Mm-hmm. They want to they want to destroy their guitars and mess up their hotel room <laughs> and, and just go batshit crazy. I, I personally think that like films about infection and virus and stuff, um, are scary because they're too realistic. So like back to Texas Chance on Massacre, um, the realism in that is what it's, it's what's really terrifying too. And these are also, you know, they're cautionary um, against the fruitless efforts that science has um, because we want to strive for good because I'm sure that, you know, this is different than chimpanzees and who knows how they got infected, but it's always something like the remakes of Planet of the Apes with James Franco and them. They were trying to cure Alzheimer's essentially, right? Um, we try to push on for good, but then it can turn to something like this. Um, I am legend, world war Z, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's scary. And I'm wondering if Boyle was, was giving it to us as like a warning or a, Hey, just be careful on, on our limits, right? Like don't try to play God when we can't. Um, and then he ended up making this cause he, he might have gone on record and said, this isn't a zombie film. I, I just don't know. Um, but it's very easy to just classify it as that, I guess. Right. I, but I don't think it's a zombie movie. My, my, I think def- you're a zombie. My movie. definition would be a, a reanimated corpse. These people are very much alive. And, uh, and when they shoot them, you don't have to shoot them in the head. Right. You just have to shoot their bodies. So that I think is more akin to what you're saying too. And so I'm, I'm more, I, I can't even I, believe I, we're I'm still talking on your about side. <laughs> There's no argument. No, There's no I'm, argument here. They're not zombies. Oh, well, I talked to Mr. Boyle tonight uh, at that post credit scene. There was like a Q&A session and <laughs> he's like, Zach, he's like, Zach, you're so right. Justin's crazy. Don't ever listen to him. Yeah. I mean, if he was going to jump off a bridge, you wouldn't do it. Even ones that fell like from up when they were falling off the stairs and, and landing really far, you know, that was killing them. Um, you know, getting shot in the chest was ending them. Just blowing them up with claymore mines was killing them. Um, it didn't have to be the head trauma. Yeah, just true. So fuck on that. Take two steps back and fuck your own face. I don't want to. 
Um, one thing I really appreciated about this film uh, is that Boyle was treating his audience like adults and he wasn't handholding us um, while he was explaining, you know, kind of what was going on. Uh, we, we get to experience that through Jim's eyes and we get to see it like when Mark um, at the beginning is explaining the situation. So right after Jim sees his, his parents' corpses and how they, you know, they killed themselves with pills and alcohol um, and left that picture of Jim in the note. Mark explains how he lost his sister in that Paddington station. Um, and all it is, is it's just a close up shot of Mark talking. It doesn't do a, a flashback or it doesn't have him voice over a scene or anything. Um, it's like we're vicariously in Jim's shoes watching this kind of happen and unfold. And it, that's how it is when the, when the movie starts out too, right? Like he's in that hospital and you, you have no idea what's going on just like him. Right. So I, I really appreciated that aspect. And I think I was, I was pretty hooked. That was like 15 minutes in the, into the film. And I was like, Ooh, I like this a lot. Just, just from that sheer standpoint. Have you, have you not seen it before? So it's funny. Cause I had, but it's been, so it came out in 2002. I probably saw it 2003 or 2004. I was like a junior in high school. So that was around 2003. Um, and I got it when Netflix had DVDs and I rented it. And I just don't remember much about it. I remember little bits and pieces, but it was really fun to revisit it because I had, I didn't, I didn't remember anything about the military crew. It's so weird when it happened. I was like, Oh shit. Like when they took Hannah and Selena, I was like, Oh my gosh, this got really dark. Um, yeah, it, it has been so long that I didn't remember any of that stuff. So this was fun. It was fun to revisit this one. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing that I see in zombie films, or sorry, one thing that I see in post-apocalyptic films that are not quite zombie films, but similar to zombie films, um, many of them deal with human nature at its worst. So we see those military guys where you think of the military or the police or something, and you're like, they're here to help. They're here for the greater good. A great or good. Um, but that's not always the case. And they did, they did that a lot in The Walking Dead where, you know, you have to fear the people more. It's not always zombie versus man. It's man versus man. Why do you think that this is? Because uh, I think humans are just inherently evil. <laughs> we, we all, I think you're, you're on the nose with that we, one. We all have uh, a potential to do terrible things, I think. And... Um, in out of this world comes desperation and you don't do uh it's i think your your morality scale just gets grayed and then so there's some horrible people out there and it just brings out the worst they really are what what do you think you what kind of role would you play in this in this post-apocalyptic world would you be the guy that's like shoot first, ask questions later, or are you more of like the passive, let's kind of discover this, find a cure, yeah. or are you just kind of like, fuck all y'all, I'm going to live in the woods by myself or something? I don't know, man. I'm a I'm a pretty helpful guy, and so I think that would result in me just being killed in like the first five seconds of this whole outbreak. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, this, no way, dude. This person's really upset. Hey, dude, you want a bite of my candy bar? And then they just eat my face <laughs> off or something. I don't know. I'm just... I'm just too nice. I, I would I would get killed in like two seconds. Uh, I'd protect you. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. As long as you share your candy bar with me. Yeah. I have lots. I have like a bandolier of candy bars. <laughs> <laughs> a bandolier. 
<laughs> You're like the Terminator, except instead of those giant missile things he has in his gun. I'm not good with guns. I don't. I don't know guns. But uh, you have candy bars. You got Twix. Yeah. You got your Reese's. Yep. Your Snickers. Thing about Kit Kats, <laughs> though, is it's such a thin layer of chocolate that it melts like just with your own body temperature. So you got to eat that shit fast. <laughs> Ooh, I love Kit Kats though. Those are, those are pretty oh man, tasty. I drive Alex crazy. I'll just take a bite out of like the whole, like all four pieces. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like a little pan flute, and I'm just like, just take a bite. <laughs> she's like, you monster, like leave me alone. I'm eating my freaking chicken. Um, I do that with string cheese. I don't, I don't string it anymore. I Go just eat it, it yeah. straight up. Yeah, I'm like, whatever, man. It's going, it's going down the same. But I'd probably, you know, I'd probably have to be a leader because I'm just more of a natural leader, but. I would definitely be open for suggestions from people on things unless they were being absolutely batshit crazy and they were like, we should eat these people. I'd be like, nah, we're, I'm good, man. We'll, we'll, we'll be vegetarians or something. We'll figure something out. Yeah. I think, but uh, I, I, I feel, would just want to, I feel like I'd be a leader. I'd want to keep moving. I wouldn't stay in one place for too long. Yeah. Um, and then just not trust anybody. Gotta go, go, go. Well, that's what Selena was like, too. She was like, no, you know, when when Jim was like, what's the plan? She's like, there is no plan. And she was reluctant to be with Frank and Hannah. And Jim's like, I'm going to help them. And I thought that that part was uh, was really interesting because, you know, what scene I'm talking about, like when they were in the apartment. Yeah. yeah so in times of crisis, you know, we see two different types of people. Um, not exactly, but I'll just, for the sake of this, I'll just say two different types of people, but it's those who fight for their own self-preservation and then those who fight to maintain humanity and civility. Right. So Um, I'm, I'm always like, you know, first to the scene kind of guy, you know, if someone's choking in a restaurant Mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to save them. I'm going to get my name in the paper. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Um, and so that, that last part is not true, but, um, I know, I know, (laughs) but I, I honestly think that being, just so quick into action to, to try and help somebody um, would get me killed in like two seconds. But why? I mean, I think you're a resourceful guy and you're, you're knowledgeable. I think that why do you, why do you think that you would face your demise in, in this post-apocalyptic world that quick? I mean, I don't know. I, I remember sometime it was like five years ago. Someone was pounding on my front door at like three in the morning and I opened it like an idiot. Like I could have easily have been like, home invasion and been murdered but a lady was in trouble and i was like oh shit let me help um and i could have easily been murdered so i don't know i just i feel like i am too easy going and too quick to just trust somebody that it would get me killed i would i would be raped and murdered by those soldiers at that um compound yikes yeah well and I think that this draws a lot of – and The Walking Dead, I keep going back to that just because I just com- was thinking about this the whole time I was watching this. But um, it draws out a lot of different things. Like I think Negan was like what, a coach or a teacher or something like yeah. that where you could have these mundane positions or careers or whatever. But when when push comes to shove and all bets are off, you get to see people at their true core. Um and who's to say, you know, a guy running an auto parts store couldn't become the kingpin of an underground resistance group or something like that. Right. So you never know. And I mean, like how you are now, you may that may actually benefit you in the zombie. Well, in the post apocalyptic world, um, it just you don't know. Right. So like in, in since you keep referring to The Walking Dead, um, Shane was actually my favorite character on that show. I thought that he was just um, a smart guy and just ahead of the curve. And it drove me nuts how um, 
Rick Grimes was just so anti Shane and like, Hey, we gotta, you know, keep our humanity and we gotta do this. We gotta do that. And then like two and a half seasons later, he's just murdering everybody. (laughs) It's like, dude, you killed your best friend because he was acting the same way that you are right now. You know, that scene was pretty crazy when, when, when he, when he had to kill Shane, that was a pretty gnarly scene, but you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's, I, I just Rick is, I just don't want to hurt anybody. So like I am, I, you know, you know me. I'm I'm a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Even when I was doing loss, nice when I was doing <laughs> loss prevention and, and, and like Target, right? You know, like my job was like you was to stop bad guys from stealing stuff. And when it was all over, I you know I was just too nice. They would even like thank me even as they're getting arrested. It's like I'm mm-hmm. just a nice guy. I'm the good cop, and I don't think that works <laughs> in this world. Hmm. I'm the cop that throws the phone book down. I'm like, all right, <laughs> you met him. Now you're gonna meet me. <laughs> and, then, and I'm like, I'm gonna order pizza. I'll open the phone book for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Yeah. I just I don't think that that personality trait would last long. And I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think that. I mean, I've always prided myself in being resourceful and and adaptable, but. In this case, I am just not a violent person, and I don't think it would work out for me in this world. Well, and I don't think I don't think Frank was necessarily a violent person either. But you saw him just manhandle those uh, those infected that ran up the stairs towards their flat, right? But he was um, dealing with with infected. He didn't. He wasn't having a any kind of encounter with the soldiers that were at the mm-hmm. at that next base. You know, who knows how things would have went down had he not got infected and he made it to that compound. You know, we, we would have saw a different side of him when people were after his daughter. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so 28 days isn't, isn't that long of a time. And, you know, in this span of time, he's fortified this base essentially at his apartment complex. Um, him and his daughter, are the only survivors there, he has full riot gear and he knows his way around a tire iron or whatever that thing that he has. But I mean, he disposed of those infected pretty quick and me, I mean, yeah, I know how to swing a baseball bat, but I don't know how good I would be. He looked very professional in, in, in a certain sense of just disposing of those infected pretty quick. So, I mean, and and the beauty of this is we don't need his backstory or anything. We don't need to know if he's ex-military or whatever, but something took over and it was maybe that preservation of not just himself, but his daughter. Like he had that that he was fighting for. So it was that father mentality that kind of took over and he went to that next level. You know what I'm saying? Right. So um, I think that I think that that can definitely appear in times of crisis and we hear of these heroes that rise up um, in, you know, school shootings or something like that. We'll hear of some, you know, brave security guard or some brave classmate that will go out of their way to do something or to save another person because it's in their human nature. And it's very easy to prepare for a situation uh, hypothetically, but when push comes to shove, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, I practice and, um, uh, top yeah. dropping and rolling all the time for fire drills. But if I catch on fire, I'm going to be running all over the goddamn neighborhood <laughs> telling someone to put me out. Right. And you just you just don't know what to do because you have to. It's, it's hard to really keep your composure for that. Um or like a grease fire in your kitchen, your first inclination fire gets put out with water. No, don't put water on a grease yeah. fire. You put flour or you cover it. But 
again, that's just that's something that when everything when all bets are off, you just kind of are like, oh shit, right? Yeah. So I think that uh, Danny Boyle did a really good job of showing that in this film, and we see the different things. I mean, Jim's just a, a, a normal bike messenger, right? He's a courier, and he just got out of the hospital. And yet he goes full like rage mode at the end of the film when he's going through that compound and just basically not himself destroying the soldiers, but he's being strategic and getting rid of them almost one by one. Yeah, that's that's my Um, favorite scene in the whole movie. It's really cool. It's 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 really cool. Great visuals. The rain always adds a fun element to it. I was cringing when he popped that guy's eyes out, though. Oh, yeah, that's badass. And I I really like pretty gnarly. It, you know, the music is getting louder and louder. It's building up sort of this crescendo type thing. And um, there's floodlights going on the outside and there's lightning. And so that's really the only light that you have in this house. And it looks amazing. Beautifully. Shot. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I, I agree with you. It was that was really cool. Um, parts of it, though, that kind of took me out. So the music, there are times it's brilliant and there are times that it just didn't really work for me. Um and some of just the different type of rock or different choices they used in it were, were odd. Um, but I did like that, that final guitar riff thing when he's having the whole mansion escapade. Cause that was in the sequel as well. And that kind of became the theme of the, of the film series. But um, some of the other music, it, it just didn't really put me in the mood for the movie. Um, and then there was some weird editing too. Um I don't know. It took a while for me to get used to the to the, the the soft lens and how it seemed almost like a VHS tape that we were watching. Why do you think he did? Why do you think he chose that? Um, maybe because the world has become ugly and he wanted it to be portrayed that way through the lens. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. That's all I, I got. Yeah. No, I know. I'm. I, I was like, I was racking my brain though about that. I'm like, cause I, I rented the HD version. I'm like, is this HD? <laughs> this is uh this is pretty crummy. So, <laughs> but he, I mean, he did that on purpose, obviously. And he used a lot of canted angles and everything. Um, did you notice the scene when they were driving past like a tulip field and it was very, very distorted? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't remember it being distorted. I remember the tulip field though. And I remember thinking like, Oh, look at all these fun colors. <laughs> I literally said that. I was watching by myself, and I was like, "Oh, look at all these fun colors!" <laughs> I love color. You're you're easily amused. Yeah. <laughs> if I were a drag queen, I would be fabulous, and there would just be like crazy colors and feathers and all kinds of fun stuff coming off me. Be- if I were a drag queen, I would just uh, lip sync to Lizzo. I fucking love Lizzo. She's amazing. It's, it's so funny. Anytime like I, I pick out something for a house, it's always like so colorful. <laughs> it drives, it drives, it drives, it's crazy. She's like, oh, she doesn't like color. Well, I like color that like totally pops. <laughs> <laughs> and she does it. It's so nice. funny. She's very like earthy tone, and I'm just like, no way. Check out this sweet peacock. This is amazing. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, no, I do. Like you, when you but, when you come over and you can just look at it, walk through our house and you can literally just put a sticker on everything that you think I picked out. <laughs> I guarantee you, you'll get a hundred percent because it's all just bright. <laughs> nice. 
So you would not survive in this world because it is very morose and very monochromatic. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't survive in Seattle. I, I need my color, man. I need. Yeah, that's true. I need it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I like the colors too, but it's okay. Um, I wonder why he cared so much about shaving. Did you notice that? Like, why he he didn't have water to shave with? Why does it matter? Like, just let your let your beard grow, man. I don't know. Would you shave? Yes. But you grow your beard pretty quick, yeah, don't you? It's not so bad. I mean, I don't have like a like a crazy Armenian beard. I have like a half Armenian beard. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, you have an edgy yeah, it's, beard. It's pretty easy to maintain. It's 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 no big deal at all. <laughs> a half yeah. Armenian beard. I don't. I'm not good at growing facial hair pretty shitty actually so um yeah i uh you know i was thinking about this too because we talked about event horizon and i asked you do you think this is a sci-fi film or a horror film and you said sci-fi yeah. correct um same question for this do you consider this a sci-fi or do you consider this a horror film i think it's more of a th- like a sci-fi thriller <laughs> I, I don't think it's a horror it's, movie it, I, I think it's more of a thriller so, in a certain sense, I think that a lot of horror films can be science fiction. Well, and I mean, science. Well, I mean, we talked about this on also on on um, that epi- that episode is that it's all science fiction is telling you is that scientists are the bad guys, and in this case, these fucking assholes <laughs> are are torturing these chimpanzees. They've got the one sort of doing mm-hmm. the clockwork orange thing on this table, just watching violence so it can see its behavior, which is terrible. Yes, I hated that. I hated so, that I mean, so again, much. Here's this this guy, this this soulless fuck that is able to just torture these animals and subject them to that, and it it breaks my heart. And it, I was so irritated in the first like two seconds of this movie that um, mm-hmm. it just really got to me. And and that's the kind of stuff that happens all the time in these labs, whether it's just testing out shampoo or soap or whatever. Animals are getting hurt, and it bothers me. And it's like, dude, just Fucking mm-hmm. put that in your eye. Does it hurt? Yeah. Okay. Great. Now you know. You don't need to. You don't need to subject animals to that sort of thing. And it and it and it bothers mm-hmm. me. And so in this particular case, because it is this man-made um, virus, and and that is the cause of this outbreak. That is why I feel like it is science fiction. And. And maybe Danny Boyle was was saying with this that humans really are the worst because they were the ones doing that. And even though that scientist is like, you can't let them out, they're, you know, they're um, infected. Why the hell did they have that one strapped down doing the whole clockwork orange thing? That it, it didn't make any sense. I mean, are you testing to find a cure by making them watch violent shit? I mean, I, I don't think that chimpanzee had the, the virus. I think it was watching the footage to maybe see I mean, I don't really know the answer, that I, but I could hypothesize that it was ultimately being injected with rage or building the rage. You know, he says it's infected with rage. And so in this case, it's like a monkey see, monkey do. Like, I see this behavior. Now I'm going to act this way. So maybe it was just trying to, I think, just for the sake of having an experiment, you have to have multiple variables mm-hmm. for your case study. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why they had the one that, isn't infected versus the caged ones that are. 
I think you just have to have that sample size. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. Um, not that I mean, I am not a scientist by any stretch of the imagination, but the, that's what I would figure is that that is just your sample size. Mm-hmm. I could see, I could see this being a sci-fi film then too, more so than a horror film. Um, <clears throat> I think it had a horror elements in it, but I, I think you're right. It, it was more that futuristic post-apocalyptic cautionary tale that we see in different sci-fi movies. Um, very akin to I am legend, how they weren't necessarily zombies, nor were they like vampires. It was kind of this hybrid weird thing that was not necessarily yeah, defined. It was, uh, it was a, right. It was an evolutionary mishap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really what it yeah. ended up being. It was human, which is in this case, the same, same thing. Exactly. Uh, and that's, that's really what good science fiction is really just a social commentary on what is happening and on, you know, art reflecting the times, I suppose you could say. Yeah, no, and Absolutely. I I mean 2002. Um, did you ever see the movie Contagion by chance? Is that with Deb from um, Dexter? No. Is it on an airplane? No. no, Contagion is the one where. Oh, I saw. I was thinking you're of quarantine. Thinking, you're thinking of quarantine. quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Contagion is the one where it's like with Matt Damon and. Um, yes and Gwyneth Paltrow and yeah, she gets really sick and she becomes patient zero and it's just because like this guy was like chopping up pork and then he didn't wash his hands and he shook someone's hand and then um boom you have the whole planet gets infected Gross. and and it's, and it's all like you know how many times we just interact with other people we touch elevator buttons we touch handrails we touch each other we touch our own face mm-hmm. you know we sneeze we cough we're the the planet's overpopulated we it's just this recipe for disaster. Like literally, uh, did you ever see the episode of the Simpsons where Mr. Burns is, gets a physical and he's like literally the sickest man in the yeah. world. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you have everything. He's like, even a little bit of, I can't remember what it was. And, um, or he's like, even like pregnancies, he goes, yeah, a little bit. And, uh, it was, he's like, why don't I have it? And he gave him the three stooges analogy where they're all trying to fit through the doorway it's of his body. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what the earth is like right now. And we just are all trying to cram through that door. And, you know, it's so crazy how uh, just going to like Comic-Con, for example, mm-hmm. you know, I end up getting sick and, you know, I wash my hands a thousand times. Um, I'm a pretty clean person, you know, I shower every day. And um, it's just one of those things where somehow, some way, someone's germs got into me. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate. But I did everything that I could to prevent that from happening, short of wearing like a hazmat suit. <laughs> above, and it's just above. crazy <laughs> how easy it is to 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 become infected, mm-hmm. right? And that's 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 crazy. It's, that's the world that we live in. You know, I was in a I was in a place with two hundred extra thousand people all in one area, and and that's bound to happen. But you know, I got on a plane, and then I came to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So now I'm infected, and I'm bringing whatever I have with me. From New York to LA, so it doesn't it doesn't take much. All these these two hundred thousand people, they're not all locals. Some of them traveled there, and then they go to their continents or whatever, and then the disease spreads. So it's very easy to see how this could get out of hand so quickly. And one of my one of my fears in that in those types of situations, because I'm I'm really good when I'm by myself and not in a crowd, but being stuck in a crowd is terrifying. And I don't remember if they had a scene like that in 20. Yes. In 28 weeks later, wasn't there a scene when they were all pushed into like a quarantine under underground 
uh, like mm-hmm. a safe zone and one one infected got in there and then they all got infected because no one could yeah. no one could move right yep. so yeah, it's over yeah and that's why uh train to basan was so good was because it's this confined space and you can't really do anything and that's that's one of my fears with any of these these you know zombie-esque films is not being able to freely move around and do my own thing and like parkour everywhere i have to watch out for people um, right. Yeah. And, and then if you're on a plane, the best thing that can happen for the world is that plane to crash and everyone just die in it. And then that way you don't got to worry. About it. No, <laughs> it's sad. But you know, that's, it's, it's that's absolutely, literally... absolutely correct, though. You're right. That's the that's the, the best case scenario for it. So it doesn't spread. That's why they quarantine. They quarantine yep. to make sure that no one gets out and no one gets in. And you it's it's a tough choice to make, but you, you have to do it. Um you got you got to break a fruit, few eggs if you want to make an omelet, sort of thing. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> I, have, I have eggless omelets. What? Do you really? Yeah, I just eat the stuff that wouldn't you'd put in an omelet. <laughs> what? <laughs> so you eat the cheese and the veggies? <laughs> I eat the ingredients. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, a chicken went through a lot of trouble to lay those eggs. I ain't about to eat them. Are you a hen now? No. Huh. <laughs> I know. I don't eat eggs either. Yeah. No meat, no eggs. Same. I like eggs, but yeah, I don't eat meat. Um, yeah, man, I I like this movie. Um <laughs> no, we haven't really talked about it, but well, yeah. Yeah, we have. I mean, we I mean there's a lot to unpack there. It's it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's pretty linear. I mean, you know, you I like I like the ideas behind it where he wakes up, he doesn't know what's going on. Um, but then it's like they have to get to a safe zone, so they work together and then it just kind of goes off the rails a little bit. Um so there were some slower parts for me. I, I did like the family aspect that they all had, like Frank, Hannah, Selena, and Jim. That was cool, but it kind of slowed down a bit for me in that. I didn't need like nonstop action, but I kind of knew which, where, the, where the movie was going. Right. So yeah. I think that's the problem. I think because you knew mm-hmm. that, this, that this family moment isn't going to last, that it made it feel longer than it needed to be. I did like, I, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I mean, that's really where where it comes from, right? It's one of those things where, um, if you didn't know that it was a post apocalyptic movie, and then all of a sudden things hit the fan, then that would be different. But in this case, the world was already emptied. They're the only people that that we know of that are survivors, and we're just waiting for them to die. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that scene when they all went to the grocery store, and the music's more up tempo. And for that brief moment in this really shitty world they were happy and laughing and stuff and i I like those because you have to savor those little moments um you know and he's talking about the different scotches and stuff and he takes like four bottles (laughs) and i I love the little touch where he just leaves his credit card at the register because i mean right did did you notice that um that uh raymond calici from gone in 60 seconds he was actually drinking that scotch yeah i saw that Mm -hmm. yeah that's pretty scary yeah i saw that um and she even says, um, you know, you're never going to see a movie again that wasn't already made. You're never going to read a book that isn't already written. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that we know and love, this is it. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. There's not going to be anything new. And that's that's crazy because I think so many people will just want to rebuild. You know, he even says, like, there's, there's a government. There's always a government. And it's weird to think that uh, what life would be like without those things. And um you know how long would you last you know just place your bets yeah. <laughs> it's pretty scary i know it's, it's really really scary 
You're right. Yeah. And you, you do want to, you know, strive for continuing on, but at the same time, it's like, it's kind of a pipe dream almost. You have to look at everything else. And, and that, that, uh, Sergeant Fairly Farrell was right though. And he's saying, no, you know, there's airplanes flying around and no one's going to get off this Island and they quarantined us. And that kind of gave Jim that idea. Then he sees the airplane in the sky. He's like, Oh, okay. He's probably right. So, um, I like that he threw that little thing in there too, that kind of you didn't need to continue on too much, but at least the characters knew about it sort of thing. So, right. Yeah, but uh, that's all I have to say about 28 days later. I almost said weeks later. Um, coming soon, 29 days later, but that's uh, that's February. So There you go. Um, letter grade. What's your letter grade for this? Ooh, B plus. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think B plus is a, is a good because it's not quite A for me, but I... I really enjoyed it and I think that it was a fun watch and I was genuinely surprised for some moments and I think that they did a really good job of just making it feel like nitty gritty kind of odd and you're right I if it had been if I had a time machine and went back to 2002 and watch this without knowing anything I know now I would have been blown away. Yeah, and I didn't know the actors either at the time. Exactly. Um, aside from Eccleston, who was, like, as I mentioned before, Raymond Kalitri in Ghana 60 Seconds, mm-hmm. um, I had no idea who any of these people were. Mm-hmm. Um, Mad-Eye Moody wasn't really a thing in American cinema at the time. Um, and he was in Gangs in New York, which was in that same year, but I don't believe it had come out yet. And to the fact when, or to the point when I saw it, I was like, oh, hey, that's that dude from 28 Days Later. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's that. Yeah, so I think that that helps me. I don't know about everyone else, but that for me, that's like the main perk. I'll go so far as to call this a foreign film because it's it's it pretty much is for us for the sake of being in the U.S. But um, I literally had no idea who any of these people were at the time, and um, that helps me a lot. It's not it's not Tom Cruise strapping himself to a plane, um, you know. It's not Brad Pitt running from a bunch of zombies. It's it's different when you don't know who the players are. I'd say this is a foreign film. I'd say that it it wasn't like in the second one, the production value was obviously up a lot and there was more, um, there were more Americans in the film, you know, like Jeremy Renner and such. Um, and I think that you can see a big difference in the, in the way it was made. So yeah, I'd, I'd say this is a foreign film. I mean, they were all English actors, right? Or actors from the UK, I should say. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, um, Danny Boyle, he's from the UK. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, so totally. I mean, yeah. That's what I was saying. For the sake of for us being in the US, it's it's a foreign film, but um, it's just uh, it's interesting to think about it that way. You're a foreign film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well, yeah, man. Uh, I liked it. Two thumbs. Way way up. Go slay it. Um. It's uh. It's it was it's a good Halloween choice. Hopefully, this episode befalls your ears on the day of Halloween if we time this right, and uh, and that'd be cool. And I'm glad we did those. We banged out those episodes. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say to anybody? Now's your time to say it. I'll forever hold the peace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I am good. Thank you all for listening. I am very happy to be here talking about motion picture shows. 
I do like them Takis. Well, that just about does it for our episode. Thank you for listening to another fun and festive episode of the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us. Let us know how crazy we are. (laughs) 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 Kind of Looney Tunes, as it were. Um, If you're not particularly excited about our movie choices, feel free to give us a recommendation. We are happy to dive in and discuss what you think is an amazing movie. Um, Just remember, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening, and thank you so much. Thank you so much.